What's up, everyone? We're back at the Hook One Pod here at Hook One Bait and Tackle in Marine City. I'm Pete. And I'm Louie. And we're going to be hosting another awesome show coming up for you guys. Um, today, we got a super specialized show coming up. We're going to be specifically talking about vertical jigging, a vertical jigging the St. Clair River. So essentially from the southern tip of Lake Huron to the northern part of Lake St. Clair, that little 40-something mile stretch. Um, we'll be talking, breaking it down spring, summer, fall, even into winter. Um, for us, it's our favorite way to, well, it's my favorite way to fish, and that's the way I really learned how to catch them. Yeah, jigging is definitely one of my favorite ways to catch walleye, and it's 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 a good way to catch them all year round. Yeah, my favorite part about jigging is, one, it's, it's rod in hand, so it's not a lot of trolling. It's a lightweight rod. You're looking at anywhere from five to six foot, medium, medium with a fast action or extra fast, you want to be able to have a rod tip that really snaps them into place. And then, you know, for a reel, I typically just stick to like a thousand size reel. You don't need a ton of line. Um, I mean, there's times early in the spring where we hook into sturgeon in which we probably wish we had a lot of line, but for most part, you know, just keep it super lightweight and it's just you and the fish. Yeah. Uh, a key thing with digging is that your, your setup is lightweight, especially if you're doing it all day. So your, your arm isn't getting tired, just moving up and down all day. But the thousand size reel, I mean, depending on the brand, but a thousand size reel and a, a rod with a good backbone and enough tip to where you can feel everything on the bottom. But when you set the hook, it's not bending all the way at the cork. Right. You want to have that. You want to have a stiffer tip because... When that fish hits, especially like if it hits a jig on the way down, you want to be able to set that hook right away uh, with like a slower action tip. It's it'll get there, but it's not going to be you know as quick and it won't be as as powerful. You're going to lose more fish with the soft action tip, essentially. Yeah. Especially because here here, like I said, this is going to be an episode just on the Saint Clair River, and here on the river, a lot of the times guys are using one ounce, three quarter of an ounce. Yeah. If you use a rod with a soft tip, there's no way you're going to have the speed to drive drive that jig into a fish's mouth, you know? No, I was just having this conversation with somebody a couple of days ago, and they were trying to compare rods for jigging, and I was trying to show them. I mean, if you have a one-ounce jig and you're fishing, say, 30 feet of water, but you have all, I mean, you have to take into account your leaders. You have a little bit of line stretch. Your rod's going to be bending over. And you still have to try and drive that hook into the fish's mouth with the soft action rod. I mean, your line's going to be stretching, your rod's going to be bending over. So the amount of, I mean, what's a good word? Like that you have to pull your rod. Like you have to pull your rod up. Tension. Yeah, like the amount of tension you have to put on the line exactly. to drive the hook up is going to be way higher with a soft action tip compared to a rod with more backbone where and even though it's not a lot of time there's there's a split second on which you have to wait for a lighter tip rod you have to wait for that to load up where you know if you don't have to wait for that split second for it to load up boom you lift your rod up the hooks in the fish's mouth yeah and you hit something too with line tension and um another thing we always like to throw on our reels is braid yeah. couple reasons one we can fit a lot more braid on a thousand size reel than we can fit mono on a thousand size reel yeah. but the one of the main reasons and the main reason for me is how stiff braid is so i can feel i mean i have no problem jigging in 70 80 feet of water 
sometimes in those super deep spots now 80 feet it doesn't get really around here but there's spots where we fish 70 feet of water yeah and if you i honestly think if you had like a mono or a fluorocarbon you really wouldn't be able to feel it down there no um braid is definitely a lot more sensitive um i use fluorocarbon for a weeder just because i think it's it helps with what is it like abrasion resistance yeah. compared to mono and mono's a little bit thicker so the fish aren't seeing it as much but i see a lot of people that use mono i haven't really tested the difference but i've always just kind of stick with fluorocarbon for a liter the problem with mono to me is it's a stretchy line so it's another one of those things i mean i guess if you're fighting a fish and it's shaking its head it gives you a little bit of a stretch but as far as like setting the hook and then the other thing with mono is it's so much thicker in the current here I mean, we're moving so fast. The current's going to be taking your line and your jig a lot faster. You know, yeah. braid is a lot more narrow. It sinks. And the other thing is you've got to use a floral leader for sure. Um, and, I mean, you don't have to in terms of catching fish, but you have to in the sense uh, we fish a lot of clean water. So, like you said, it's essentially invisible underwater. It's tougher than mono. And at the same time, there's a lot of snags in this river. So, if you snag up, it's a lot easier to just break off a jig that's, you know, 75 cents or whatever, as opposed to losing half of your spool of braided line because yeah. it broke up at the spool. And you know what I'm saying? So it definitely helps with that fluorocarbon leader, not only catching fish, but just as like a, um, like an equipment necessity to, to, to me at least. Yeah. Um, I also see that a lot of people use swivels on their line or snatch swivels um, just to kind of, get rid of line twist, but I started tying line to line this year. I kind of noticed it does not make that big of a difference. Um, yeah, I've noticed like barrel swivels do help out more than snap swivels. I don't like snap swivels because I don't like having that stuff down by my jig. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but barrel swivels for sure. And I always was a huge fan of barrel swivels until I started guiding and losing one after another on jigs. I mean, I didn't have time to just – tied to the barrel swivel, tied barrel swivel. I just tie the line directly. It's a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, but what you do notice a difference in is when we're out there, like in the early spring and you're catching salmon, those will really twist up your line. Yeah. Walleye don't do too much. Suckers too. Suckers are a big one. Suckers too. really twist your line. But walleye not too much. Uh, a lot of big head shakes. But you're right. I've, I've noticed that line to line, there is a little bit more sensitivity, yeah. um, which, you know, the more you fish – the more you're going to figure it out. I mean, we were to the point or we get to the point every spring where, you know, if there's a little bit of weeds on your stinger hook or something, you're going to notice it right away because yeah. it's all repetitions. So that's all stuff that, you know, it's going to help you out in the long run, catch more fish. Well, my thought about it was you kind of have like a middle component using that swivel on your line and just kind of taking it out. You're going from jig to line and then that line is, basically connected to the i mean it is connected to the other line and it's going straight to your rod so there's really you're not missing much of the sensitivity going line to line not at all so essentially i mean what you're looking at you know to recap before we move on is you really want to find yourself like anywhere from a five five and a half foot to six six and a half i've started using rods over six feet my rods are six two um they're awesome i like the bend on them a little bit uh, the shorter rods for me, I felt like I lost a lot of fish as they were shaking their heads, but it's a lot easier to net them, especially when you're doing a lot of fishing alone. Yeah. A shorter rod can help you net them a lot easier. Um, but yeah, so you're looking for a rod in that length. 
you're looking for a medium to medium heavy, you want fast or extra fast action on the rod tip, you know, anywhere from a thousand to a 2,500 size reel. We use eight pound braid. We know guys that use six. We know the guys that use 10. We know guys that use 20. Um, but I like to sit a little bit lighter on my braid, tie that to a four to six foot floral leader and you're good to go. Typically, honestly, I use six feet just because I don't like, t- I don't like tying it up as much. Yeah. I'd rather just keep chipping away at what I got there. Yeah. I use a, a six to like a, a six, three rod. Um, I usually have two rods with me. I have a six foot and a six two. The six foot, I usually leave like 10 to 12 pound braid on with a a little bit heavier leader if I'm fishing in the rocks or fishing around a lot of snags. And then my my 6'2", 6'3", rod is usually with 8 pound line and just kind of fishing sand flats or more open water to where I can have a little bit more sensitivity on it. For sure. And so the other thing that I want to get at is you know, another great thing about vertical jigging is the diversity and baits you can use. Now, I would say 90% of the time that I go out fishing, that you go out fishing, that a majority of people that go out here fishing, it's jigs and plastics. It's anywhere from typically five eighths to an ounce. Um, sometimes guys will go a little bit smaller, but typically it's, you know, you're right around your five eighths ounce to an ounce. Um, and they're using any sort of plastic, whether it be a fork tail minnow, whether it be a worm, a paddle tail, um, that's kind of the most popular. Now I will say that blade baits are very successful. Jigging wraps are very successful. Ripping wraps are very successful. Uh, we've used hair jigs, jigging spoons. We found out this year have been super successful. So that's another really cool thing about jigging is it seems like there's a lot of baits that if you can get them to the bottom, you can catch fish on depending on the time of year, obviously. Yeah. Depending on the time of the year, it seems like there's a lot of different baits that come into play, which I know we're going to talk about most of them, probably all of them, but jigging plastics are the most common. And I think it's going to start not pulling away from that, but it seems like a lot more people are starting to kind of expand on it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think to a certain point, a lot of people are like, you know, let me just try this out differently. And you notice that everything you use, it does seem like the walleye hit it a little bit differently or you fish them a little differently. So it's, you know, guys find something that they like or something that they can hold on to, and that's what they continue to do. But at the end of the day, your most tried and true is going to be the jig and the plastic. And I think that's typically what I use a lot on my charters. Now, I will say as the water temperature heats up from like spring to summer, that's typically when I'll start going to a lot of my jigging wraps or ripping wraps, like your glide baits, you know what I mean? And you seem to have a lot more luck that way, but early in the year, Honestly, a jig and a plastic is my best bait. Yeah, I, I think that the jigging wraps and ripping wraps and the shiver minnows kind of pick up as the water heats up because it's more of a reaction bite. The fish just kind of stare at it, and then you, you kind of rip it up, and it darts away from them, and they just kind of chase it and bite it without really thinking about it in that clear water. Right, and a lot of the times, like when we're fishing them early in the year or – late in the year, depending when you're looking at it, but you're fishing those colder water fish. They're a lot more sluggish. They don't want to chase baits as much. So they're just looking for a big fat meal. And I think that big jig head with that plastic is exactly what they're looking for. And you got to think another time, like most of the time that a lot of guys are jigging, it's after the spawn 
it's when these fish are in an absolute feeding frenzy, right? For yeah. those few weeks in the spring. So they're going to eat anything that goes by. And then you start rolling into summer and then the dog days of summer and then into fall where these fish get a little bit pickier. And that's when you can start using a lot of other baits and trying other things because man, there's been times where we've gone out and, and did very well with jigging wraps or moonshine or uh, shiver minnows. Yeah. But we drop a jig and a plastic down there and it won't even get touched. Yeah. It kind of, it seems like it depends on the day. Um, jigging wraps, I kind of noticed that they, they tend to catch more fish for me on overcast days or days where it's a little bit more windy. And jigging plastics are kind of like, uh, if it's super sunny, no wind, it seems like it's kind of like a tried and true. You can always throw it down there and end up getting a couple bites on it. But the jigging plastic is usually going to be your your number one bait all year. Yeah, that's, that's for sure what we're starting to find out. And, you know, as much as we talk about the different plastics you can throw on there, like the forktail minnows and worms and paddle tails and all that good stuff, there's so many different styles of jigs. You got your plain round ball jig you know a lot of guys around here use the walleye style jig or the wedge style yeah. you've got ultra minnows you've got um you know there's jigs that they're essentially like a torpedo looking jig there's so many different jigs that can affect the way your bait moves underwater i think that's something that a lot of people can can go off of and really figure out you know what yeah. i'm saying you can use a round ball jig with a big forktail presentation and that's going to be a really big style of bait. And it's essentially just going to go up and down, up and down as you're going down the current. Yeah. Or you can throw on one of those ultra minnows or those bullet jigs and you can throw on like a worm. And now you have a super narrow presentation that's kind of darting all over the place. Right. And time, time and place is going to, is going to determine when you use that. But that's another great thing that I love about vertical jigging is even if it's just, I'm using a jig and a plastic. Well, what kind of jigs and what kind of plastics? Yeah, there's a lot of variety. Um, even hair jigs with a plastic on the back of it are really, really good in cold water. It's just kind of like that extra presentation that encourages the fish to bite. But there's so many different jigs, so many different plastics that, I mean, you can basically catch any fish anywhere with a jig and plastic, not just walleye. So typically now we're going to, um, you know, when you're targeting these fish in your vertical jigging, there's so many different places to target them. But the number, the number one important thing is, and we really touched on it a lot in our casting episode, um, if you haven't heard that one, might be worth giving it a listen. The one negative about vertical jigging is when you're in shallow water. And typically that's where you find a lot of your big walleyes in the spring and in the fall. You find them in that shallow water. But other than that, vertical jigging, I mean – the great thing about it with the current that we have here is you can jig along brake lines, you can jig along flats, you can jig through weed beds. You can do so much and cover a ton of water given the fact that we're moving anywhere from like one and a half to two miles an hour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jigging over top of fish in shallow water, I mean. You can do it you in can, dirty water. Yeah. But our water is so clean here. You know? Yeah. It seems like. What I've started to notice that if the water's clean, the fish aren't going to go as shallow. So they're kind of staying down in that 25, 30 feet of water to where you can still jig them. But once that water gets a little bit dirtier and they start to push up a little bit shallower, you, they, you can still jig them because they're not going to see the boat as easily. But 
it kind of all depends on water clarity and where the fish want to go that time of year. But this spring, it was super clear. And, I mean, we didn't fish that shallow at all. I mean, I think the, the shallowest I caught a walleye all year was, like, 18, and it was pitch dark out to where, I mean, I don't think they could have seen the boat if they really wanted to. Yeah, I didn't do a ton of shallow water fishing because, like you said, we didn't have those traditional rains that we have, like, in the spring. So we just stayed so clean here. It was hard to really get on fishing. To be honest with you, when it got super cold there in April, our, our jig bite got kind of funny. Yeah. But um, the shallow water fish jigging, like you said, is definitely tricky. You you can't be doing it midday at all. The shadow yeah. of the boat and everything will freak it out. Yeah. You've got to do it early and late. You've got to look for some stained water. But there's been times where, like we said, not necessarily this year, but we've had times in the past where we've had crazy success in shallow water, like 15 foot or less jigging. And that's insane. But typically it's before the sun comes up or as the sun is, is cresting. Cause once that lights up and you're in, you're in shallow, those fish are going to get really weird on you. Yeah. Um, I've crossed all my, actually like the top five of my biggest wall I ever caught out of the river were like 15 feet or less and probably the dirtiest water I've ever seen in a river. And you just kind of plop that jig in front of their face and it seems like they want it in that dirty water, especially when they're shallow. And it seems a lot of them are a lot bigger. Right. My favorite part about vertical jigging is getting, like you said, off of those shallow spots where those spots that we'd kind of target casting or, or pitching jigs. I like getting off those spots. The thing I love about vertical jigging are there's stretches in this river that are humps, you know, where it goes like up to 23, down to 35, and it'll do that. Or we have a couple like sunken islands and some sandbars. Um, we have a lot of weed edges because of our channel. And the thing about vertical jigging is since you're using the current, you don't have to just sit and pick apart one spot after another. You can get in the current, you know, and depending where the fish are that time of year. So like in the spring, you're targeting a lot of sand flats that those fish are going to feed on after the, after the spawn. In the summer, you're going to focus on a lot of weed edges and weed lines. Yeah. And then back to the fall, you're going to start targeting those flats again, some rockier areas as those fish set up for their winter patterns. But you can cover so much water and hit these fish on the jig, and then you can cover a bunch of different depths. And then that's when you can really start piecing the puzzle together. And that's what I like so much about it. You know, the first drift of the day is always super long. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this sucks. But there's a couple spots in that drift where you pound some fish. And then after that, it's just really starting to dial it in, you know? Yeah. Drift down, dry back up. Float down, dry back up, and just sit over those fish and pound them. Yeah. It seems like in the springtime, contours in the river kind of hold most of the fish. And then summertime, it kind of goes into weeds. And then um, fall is kind of, like, determined on structure. But, I mean, each season has their own kind of, like, little area that the fish kind of stage up on. And it's kind of cool to see how they go from one area to another because there's local fish in the river all year. Um and they're hard to trick yeah they're they're probably some of the smartest fish in the river but they do not move very far at all through the season they're they kind of they for the most part i would say they stay within a half mile of where they are in the winter time and then they move in the summer 
and then they're right back there in the winter time. Um, even when they're moving, yeah. I mean, a lot of those resident fish, they probably don't move more than five miles from where they're at. And that's what's crazy. Yeah. You get these resident fish that don't move, like, really anywhere in the river. They might go, you know, five, ten miles, like we said. And I don't even think ten miles. Like I said, a lot of fish seem to be – a lot of your residents don't seem to move much. But then we get a ton of other fish coming from Lake Erie and Saginaw Bay. So it's funny how as fish go through, they decide, you know, I'm going to hang out here. And it's – yeah still trying to figure out, you know, what, what is it, what holds these resident fish and why do the rest leave? But you definitely notice a drop off once those spawning fish leave. And before those fish from the fall move back in fishing gets really tough, man. Those fish get really smart. It gets kind of hard to trick them. Um, and like you said, the water temperature with everything and the weeds, it gets tough to, to really pin them down. Well, yeah, even that, but resident fish, I, I think people kind of get like the wrong interpretation from it. They think all oh, these fish are born here. This is this is where they're staying. But yeah, I mean, it kind of means a bunch of different things. I mean, there's fish <laughs> that could come from Lake St. Clair and kind of find a spot in the St. Clair River and then kind of make it their home and never leave. Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy, but there's the Thames River, the he called it the Thames River in Canada where they tag a bunch of walleye. And we caught one up in Marysville during the winter and called it in, released it. And then two years later in that same exact spot, almost to a tee, we caught the same exact fish in the same exact time of year and it did not move at all. So, I mean, once a fish kind of finds home, it seems like they don't move very far at all. Well, and that all depends, too, depending what what the situation is with our water temperature and our bait. I mean, there was a couple of years ago where the river didn't have any bait, no yeah. shiners, no shads, nothing. And along with that went the fish, you know, and the fishing in the lake was great. Now, this year we've had some pretty good um, bait fish move in. And as those bait fish move in right now in the fall, that chicken's picking up, man. Those guys are out there. They're pounding them. Um, typically right now as they're heading in from the lakes, you know, you're looking at like Port Huron and the south end of Algonac. But we're starting to get fish mid-river, too. And that's – it's going to – I think this fall bite's going to be one that's been a lot better than the last couple. Last year's was really non-existent. Yeah, um, especially with Canada being shut down. Canada has more of, like, a natural kind of, like, drop-off on their shoreline, kind of where we have more of, like, a – a straight drop off or it seems like seawalls yeah that's it it seems like there's a lot more like houses on our end and yeah. they they used a lot more it seems like they really cut off the river where we are if that makes sense like they went seawalls and straight down yeah. where canada it looks like they used more of their natural shoreline as opposed to like coming out um but you're right it, it leaves a lot of sand flats a lot of um, rock piles, a lot of natural structure for those fish to sit on as opposed to just going from 30 feet right into a metal seawall. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, fishing against seawalls and those steep drop-offs do get very good throughout the year. Oh, yo, absolutely. But I feel like the colder water fish kind of like more of that natural, um, natural shoreline. Yeah, and that's the thing is like when we're when we're talking about those big fish, those spawning fish, those are the type of fish that typically like to stay out of there because the current's moving pretty quick and it doesn't seem like you find a lot of your bigger. I mean, I shouldn't say you don't find a lot of your bigger fish, but it seems like when you're targeting them, you're better off shallow water, 
flats, stuff like that. At least that's been my um, <laughs> brain fart. That's been my, I don't know. Yeah. That's what I've noticed. That's what I got. I feel like I've caught more, uh, not more, but most of my bigger walleye vertically jigging on sand flats, kind of in shallow, where they, like, they're pulling up to spawn or getting ready to spawn. To not, spawn and to feed, I yeah, think. I wouldn't say necessarily to feed. I think it's kind of just like uh, the jig goes in front of its face and it's like, oh, I'll eat it. But I don't think that's, that's why they're there. But You don't think the big bait balls have anything to do with why they're there? I don't know. I haven't caught very many big fish around bait balls. Hmm. But the other, you know, vertical jigging is something, like we said, that you can really hit all year. Spring, summer, fall, and into winter. I mean, we had days this year in January, February, where if the river cleaned up a little bit with ice, we were able to sneak out there and target. I think that's where we did most of our shallow shallow water fishing, as a matter of fact. We'd hit yeah. a lot of, um, you know, there's a couple islands out here that we'd be off the humps of and, like, off the on the beginning and at the back of some sandbars and drop-offs. Those seem to be what helped us out the most. Yeah. Um, Mainly the islands. It seemed like a lot of fish this year held on the islands from – whether it be Stag or Fawn or Russell Island, it seemed like a lot of fish sat around the islands, which makes sense. It's a giant, essentially a giant sandbar. Yeah, I caught a lot of fish around the islands this year. I don't, I don't know why. I've never really fished by the islands a lot, but it seems like this year they held a lot of fish. That's something that's been interesting too with Canada, like you said, being closed. I think a lot of people have been forced to fish where they don't usually fish. Yeah, And, like, that's come up to some really sweet jigging spots that we've ended up finding because we've had to push out of our comfort zone a little bit. Because for those of you that don't know, when the Canadian side of the river is open and you do have your Canadian license and you can go over there, there's there's spots where it's like, ah, the fishing's tough. Well, we'll just go over to Canada and pound them. Yeah. And, I mean, it's there's days where the fishing is that much better. And we've been stuck on this side of the river now for two years and so you've had to find spots when the fishing's tough. It's, well, I'm not going in, so you're going to go try here. You're going to go try there, different spots of the river. And I think that we really found out that a lot, there's a lot of spots in the river that hold fish that not a lot of people actually fish. Something else that's super important to touch on as well is um, your cadence. You know what I mean? It depends whether you're using a, a jig and a plastic or if you're using a blade bait or if you're using a, a jig and wrap. People don't realize, but a lot of, a lot of your bites come from your cadence. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like colder water, you're kind of just lifting your rod tip. Not super slow, but just enough to get that bait off the bottom and hold it there for a second and then bounce it, let it sit on the bottom for a second or two and then bring it back up. But it seems like colder water, they want it super slow. Um, warmer, I mean, as the water temperature starts climbing up it seems like they want it a little bit faster and then as like the dog days of summer come in they want it back slow again and then it kind of does the same thing again like as the water temperature starts dropping they want it a little bit faster and then once it gets cold again you gotta start slowing it down but yeah it's just really figuring out when the fish are in their sluggish moods and when the fish are active so you're looking at you know, in the spring, as the water's heating up and you're getting post-spawn, those fish are super hungry. They're going to eat really anything that goes in front of their face. Same with, like, the fall, like we talked about. They're going to just start piling in bait. They're going to get ready for those winter patterns. 
And then when the water's super cold and when the water's super warm, those fish seem to react and just get super sluggish. And that's a lot of the times in the colder weather and in the warm weather, well, not necessarily in the summer, but a lot of that colder weather is when we use a lot of our jig and plastics. Yeah, it seems like as simple as you can get it in the this spring, um, it seems like you're just going to catch more fish, especially if you're tipping with a minnow. And then there's other times where you're looking at, you know, the, the, the early fall, kind of like what we're transitioning into now, and we're using jigging spoons and jigging wraps as we're vertical jigging, and we're ripping on those things. Like if you crank it as hard as you can, you should be able to hear your drag tick. You know, you're, we're really cranking on them suckers where, shoot, two months from now, we're barely going to be even lifting that bait, that bait off the bottom. A lot of places you could almost jig troll it. You know, those fish yeah. will bite it while it's laying on the bottom. Yeah. Another thing is, like, on, based on time of the year, make sure your drag is set to the time of the year. Um, in colder water, I would have your drag set just a little bit more loose because you're going to tend to catch a little bit bigger fish. And, I mean, in the summertime, not crank your drag down, but tighten it a little bit to where you kind of make sure you get a good hook set on those fish because it seems like they don't they don't bite the bait as good in uh, the warmer water like they don't engulf it as much as they do in colder water that's that's a that's a great point because a lot of times people don't realize it but like if your drag is cranked down all the way while you're jigging and you go to stick fish sometimes you might rip it right out of its mouth so you want to have that drag set to where yeah. you're, you know what I mean, you're setting the hook, depending what bait it is. If you're fishing a jig in a plastic, like we talked about, you know, you're not going to be jigging it up as hard as you can. So you're going to want your drag set a little differently than if you're fishing a jig wrap or a spoon where you're really snapping your wrist just to get that thing to, to get the action that you're trying to get. Yeah, it, it really all depends on time of year, the bait you're using. But uh, jigging plastic, you're... you're your drag shouldn't be set really all that tight at all. Um, I mean, tight enough to where you can kind of get a good hook set, but you want that fish to kind of pull a drag as it's making those head shakes because they do have super soft mouths in the colder water, and it doesn't take much to rip that jig right out of its mouth. No, especially when the jig weighs an ounce or three-quarter yeah. of an ounce, like we're saying. They yeah. just shake their head. If you give them any slack, that – the weight of the jig itself is just going to pull it right out of the fish's mouth. Yeah, it's crazy how many fish I've gone through to kind of figure out where my drag needs to be at certain times of the year. Trial and error, buddy. That's that's the way you figure yeah. it out, you know. Yeah. But um, the most important thing I think that we need to touch on as far as vertical jigging, especially vertical jigging out here in the river, is boat control. If you don't have boat control or you can't control your boat, then you're not going to have any luck because there's just no way – with the current that we have out here, there's no way your line will be able to be up and down at the speed the current's going, and then you got to factor in the wind as well. Yeah, it seems like you want to be as vertical as you can get it. Um, there's no such thing as being too vertical. Um, one thing I will say is I have noticed if it's a super, super strong like north wind or a super strong south wind and you're out there, I would maybe upsize your jig. It kind of helps keep your jig under the boat instead of having the current take it as much. Um, and then kind of as the wind slows down, if it's a super calm day, kind of 
downsize your jig a little bit and then start to experiment with you know smaller jigs the current kind of learn it right and so when you guys get out on the water and, and the first thing that you need to do you're setting up your boat right you find your drift you're getting ready to set up you got to point the boat into the wind yeah. that that's number one because the current's going to be running from north to the south all day every day seven days a week 365 days a year even on christmas and thanksgiving yeah so the wind is going to be blowing different from one hour to the next so when you get out there the most important thing is putting your the nose of your boat well i shouldn't even say that you should put your trolling motor into the wind because a lot of guys use transom mounts. Yeah. So you want to put your trolling motor facing the wind because the wind is going to be the thing that really drives you off of your bait. Yeah. The current's the current and you're trying to go the same speed as the current and your jig. But the wind is going to be blowing you to and to and from. And so that's where you've got to have the most control. The other thing that I see a lot of guys do is, and I used to do it all the time. It was like my biggest thing is sometimes when I try to correct, I overcorrect. Yeah. Right. So I need to go forward. Well, it's not a car. It's not going to stop right away. So as you're getting close to your line, then you can turn it off, whether you're using the hand remote or the foot pedal. Yeah. That way you don't cruise over top of your line. Then you got to turn the trolling motor around. Oh, excuse me. Spin it back. It That's a whole mess. So another thing you guys got to think about is, is how fast you're gaining on your line and you don't want to overcorrect. Yeah. Overcorrecting is kind of a big problem I tend to see when I, see people struggling um, i still do it yeah to this day there's times where you know i'll be out there and it'll take me it'll take me a drift or two to be like okay that's enough because sometimes if it's really windy if that wind's ripping it can be easy to overcorrect. yeah it's it's staying vertical isn't necessarily always easy um but if you do have other people in your boat and you're vertical jigging I highly recommend that you guys are all using the same size jigs. Um, if the person running the boat is using a one ounce and the person in the back is using a three quarter, that person in the back is gonna never be able to stay vertical. That jig's gonna go down current a lot faster than that one ounce, so. Right, and it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. You know, it's like, oh, it's only a quarter of an ounce, but you know, it might not make a deal in 18 foot of water. It not, yeah. might not be a huge deal in 20 foot of water. But the thing is, is when you're getting out there, is you're getting into the 30, 35, 40 foot of water, which is where we end up every day. Yeah. It's where those fish push to every day. So when you end up out there deeper, that's where you're going to notice a big difference. Another thing is you're going to want to try, I, I just come out in kind of like a blanket statement. You're going to want to have the most identical equipment like the rest of the boat. So like, for yeah. example, on like you walk on the charter boat, every single rod's the same length. Every single reel is the same size for the most part, but all the line diameter is the same. It's all 10 pound power pro. And that's just what I like to use. Yeah. 10 or eight, I guess, depending what I can get my hands on uh, in the beginning of the season. And I try to make sure that my line's the same because especially if you have one guy that's using mono and one guy that's using braid, that's just asking for a nightmare. Yeah. If you think about it, you've got one person with floating thick diameter line, and then you have another with a thin diameter sinking line. It really does make those inches make all the difference in the world when you're out there, um, especially in deeper water and especially in this current. Because, again, I, I can't emphasize it enough. It's a different beast out here than a lot of other rivers. We move a little bit faster, and so it picks up that extra line. Yeah. Um, another thing is, is trying to make sure – 
I mean, towards the beginning of the day, I would try to make sure everybody's cadence is a little bit different until you kind of figure out what the fish are biting on. But until you kind of figure it out, I would kind of make sure the boat is all kind of jigging the same. Make sure, every, I mean, it comes down to cadence. I mean, if somebody's holding their jig above the bottom for too long, they're not going to be vertical. The current's going to take it. Or if somebody is holding their or letting their jig sit on the bottom for too long, they're going to be way behind the boat because it. I mean, it's just going to be sitting on bottom, and the current's not going to be able to take it. Um, I mean, the real thing is just kind of getting out there and do it. Um, it comes down. It's vertical jigging is tough when you first start, and then you kind of start picking up on the little things, and that's basically what it comes down to is the little things. You know, I'm going to add to a little bit of what you just said. I'm not, I really don't think it's dramatic, but like vertical jigging is hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's it, in the, with the current and the wind and the conditions that we have here, it's hard for guys. And especially, I mean, it took me, it took me probably, you know, two years to like really dial it in to the point. And it took me four or five years to dial it into the point where I was like, okay, I can take customers to do it. Cause yeah. that's, that's a whole different thing is when, you know, when you're trying to keep, like you said, other people on the boat vertical. And that's one thing, you know, if you got a boat, a group of guys on a boat, whether it's your friends or family, whatever it is, like Louis said, throw on different colors, start with different cadences, start all over the place. Try and cover the rainbow as fast as you can, because then that way you'll be able to narrow it down. Hey, these baits want, nat or these fish want natural colors and a slow presentation today. And then just go to town. Yeah. But if everybody starts, sorry, that was a, a little phone call there. Um, but anyway, if everybody starts using the same color and the same cadence and one guy doesn't catch fish, nobody's catching fish. No. It seems like fish kind of change up what they want. It can be from day to day. It could be from week to week. Or it could be from hour to hour. Well, Louie, do you wake up every day and eat a beef taco every day? No. 365, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? No. No. I wake up every day and something – Something looks good to me. Something doesn't look good to me. And at the end of the day, you know, this, it's not something that can be 100% patterned. You're going out there and it's a wild animal. So yeah, when it wants to eat, it's going to eat and whatever it wants to eat on, it's going to eat on, but that's our job. And that's what the fun of fishing is, right? We're going to figure out what they're chewing on. We're going to trick them and then we're going to put them on our dinner table. Yeah. I see a lot of people that, uh, just kind of go out there and they always say that natural baits always work. And I mean, to a sense, they're not wrong, but that's me. Um, but you're right. I mean, I've seen this year actually happen. Me and Pete were doing very good on pink. Um, pink worm. Pink worm. And we were catching more fish than dang near everybody around us. And we were using the least natural thing, I think, known to man that a fish could see. But they were loving it. Yeah, I'm I'm that stubborn asshole that and I even like when customers walk in, but but it is true, like you said, to a point, it yeah. is true. You know, when if you're just getting started out or you know, you're trying to build up your collection of colors, I would think starting with a lot of natural colors would be my suggestion, but then starting to throw in those crazy things. Now, our collection is an obsession. Yeah. I've got every color worm you could think of. I've got just about every color plastic. So we can try that stuff. And honestly, it was funny because I threw on the pink worm trying to catch salmon and trout because I, that's been my, that's usually one of my best baits in the spring. And I couldn't keep the walleye off them all the way like through May. Yeah. And it was cracking me up. 
but I'm typically I'm the one, you know, use your gobi patterns, use your perch patterns, uh, blue ice, even though I don't know what the hell blue ice looks like. <laughs> antifreeze is one of the best colors in the river. It's, uh, but that's the thing, like antifreeze, pimp daddy, yeah. the pink worm, orange worm, yeah. like all those colors, those all work. What was uh, the other day one of our buddies was talking to us, he used fire tiger with a fire tail. Yeah. That doesn't look like anything swimming down there. But again, that's you don't know unless you try that color. Yeah. And I get, personally, I get stuck in that rut. Like these are the, you know, it's a, Let's just say it's a bluebird day with clear water. These are the colors I'm going to use, and that's it. That totally went out the window this year. Um, like you said, we start. it started with the pink worm, and then even through the charter season, um, you know, typically when a client shows up, I throw on whatever we were catching the day before on their rods, yeah. right? Because they're the ones that are here to catch the fish. And then on my rod, I'll throw on something ridiculous, whether it's like a Wonder Bread with a bunch of colored spots or – like it's that fire tiger or the fire tail. I usually throw something ridiculous because they could be biting that. Yeah. And then so many times this year, I found out the fish were biting the weirdest colors. All of a sudden you throw the whole boat to that color and everybody's catching fish. Yeah. I never would have tried that say two years ago. No. Um, even taking some of my dad's buddies out this year that, I mean, they're not huge in the fishing, but they, they kind of know what the basics are. I'll just put on what, I mean, I, I think they're going to bite on that day, and then I'll kind of start switching through baits on my end. And I found a lot of really weird combinations that caught a ton of fish. Uh, one of them was uh, it's, a, it's a straight orange jig head with a gold and black body, um, pink and blue. They call it, it's a fat boy jig. It's boy girl with uh it's called a bubblegum body it doesn't even match but they were i did pretty good on that one and then um a straight orange body with uh an antifreeze jig head and none of them match no rhyme or reason to it but i felt like it needed to be thrown on at that point in the day and it somehow ended up catching fish what needed to be done was done <laughs> you know but that that's the one thing, like we said, especially, and that helps, you know, when you can get a lot more people in your boat, a lot of the times, like when I go out fishing for fun and stuff like that, it's just me. So you're really trying to figure out some colors and patterns. And as fishermen, we all know that we all have our confidence bait that we're going to throw on. Like I can guarantee you, Louie's going to throw on a white jig head and an Alwife Lunker City body. Yeah. It's just what he's going to do. It's what he does. It's what he's done since I've known him. Um, and for me, honestly, uh, it's probably going to be something like a goby or the sexy shiner. Um, that's one of my favorite clear baits, and that's what I always end up back to. But that, again, making it full circle, that's what's so great about vertical jigging is all the different options and all the different combinations you can use but get the same mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, a lot of people either here kind of more on the pro side or more like on the like a, a bait company side, they'll say kind of match the hash. And sometimes you really need to to get those bites. And sometimes you need to go as far as possible away you can from it to kind of trick those fish. But Pull it out of left field and let it rip. Yeah. Um, kind of just don't 
like just zone into a couple of baits because I think you're going to be disappointed with how it turns out. I mean, you might have a couple of good days, but there's there's a lot of good patterns out there that really, I mean, nobody knows about and nobody would even think to try. Yeah, nobody wants to be tying baits all day. No. That's why I have 50 rods. No, <laughs> no but seriously, I, it's like, you know, there's times where I go out there and it's like, I don't want to tie on this new color. I don't want to tie on this new jig head. Yeah. But it, you either can do that, you can keep fishing and catch nothing, which is literally insane, or you can go in. And there's a lot of times where it's like, I'm not going in. I don't, I don't want to go in. I don't want to deal with what's on shore. So I'm going to stay out here on the, wa- yeah. on the water. And that small thing, tying on that different profile head or that different color body or that different size body, whatever it is, you know, might be the thing that can get the fish activated and, and get them feeding. Boom, you got a day for the record books, for the memory books. Yeah, I've even had a couple of times where we found a, a really hot bait and then the entire boat tied on that hot bait. And, I mean, by then the fish didn't even want it. Or we've had times where if the entire boat had the same bait, they weren't eating it. Like, everybody had to kind of have a different color. But the fish are tricky. But it's just time on the water until you figure it out, really. Well, yeah, that's what we talk about all the time. It's all about spending time on the water. and growing confidence in those baits. But, hey, guys, that's basically all we got today. We really hope you enjoyed this episode on vertical jigging. I'm sure we'll touch on it mm, probably about a million times by the time we're said and done because we do love it. But um, other than that, guys, check us out on Instagram, on Facebook, or come directly to our shop, and you can see Louis' smiling face. <laughs> but anyway, Louis, what do you got to say to the people? Like, share, and subscribe. That's it. Like, share, and subscribe. Other than that, guys, have a great day. Tight lines.